Welcome to Restoration Basics. This is the Preparatory Podcast. Uh, my name is Sam Jordison, and I'm joined with two of our regular hosts. Andrew Smith. Jason Kane. And we have uh, two guests with us tonight, if you guys want to introduce yourselves. Well, I'm Elder Fred Brown, Jr. And I am Jim McKitty. And uh, you guys are the, the Michigan boys. As are. As, uh, <laughs> um, as are a good portion of your your citizens down here from Michigan. <laughs> yeah. Well, that um, we're already deviated into some unique territory, but what surprised me is, as a Detroit Lions fan, sadly, how many people in the church were also Lions fans, and then I figured out, oh, there was the Michigan connection, and it was like, there's people to to uh, suffer with down here. <laughs> Not just up in Michigan. Um, we're really happy to have you guys guys with us. Um, I have known um, Jim has been my second father probably for 23 years because I've been alive for 23 years. So I've known him for a long time. And then I met you, Mr. Brown Jr. Um, when we went up there mm, for, for someone's wedding. No, I don't know who it was. Oh, we went up there to the Michigan reunion as well. Did you come up there for that one? I don't think. But Andrew was at the Michigan reunion. That's right. Actually, we saw you at the seventies reunion. Oh, that's right. Yep, I remember Nick and Joey. Yep. you got yeah. That's we right. actually have a picture of you with them, I think. But Sam came up there with us for uh, Ryan Monarch's wedding. That's right. Okay. Yep. Yep. I, I know we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. Um, uh, but we've been going through uh, the the Book of Mormon and and kind of the the things that we pull from it, and, and we're really grateful to have this opportunity to speak with you, I guess. But I guess I want to ask you just to just to kick things off. We've really enjoyed seeing the the plain and precious truths as we've been going through the Book of Mormon and and what's been restored back to the church. I want to ask you two questions, and they can be long. They're long winded answers. But uh, what do you what do you see going on now in this restored? church and your heritage in it and and what christ has done with it and also what is your personal testimony of of coming into that gospel and and growing in a in a relationship with jesus okay do you want to go first sure i'll go first um i was i was baptized in the church back in 1972 and i can recall leading up to my baptism the testimonies of the restored gospel uh, in our household and so uh, having that first testimony as a child and then being baptized into the church the day that I was baptized I still remember sitting on the porch uh, with my uncle who came all the way up to Michigan from down here in Missouri to do the baptism and we sat on the swing of our porch and uh, he asked me those questions why are you getting baptized and why do you want to get baptized and what is so important to be baptized into this church and even at, at a young age at the age of eight I still remember the answer that I gave him, and that was because I wanted to serve Jesus Christ even at that age. And you know, um, as I grow older and um, I matured into the church and I matured into the gospel, if it wasn't for the church and my relationship that I had at such a young age, I'm not so sure I would be where I'm at today. But the Lord has led me in such a way that uh, has given me a strong testimony um, if I could, I'll fast forward to when you ask me, you know, what is that testimony that, uh, that uh, stands out so much to me? 
And it was at a time in my life when I had transitioned from uh, graduating from high school and starting to work, and I started to make money, uh, bought a brand new car, uh, drove it off the lot. It had seven-tenths of a mile on it. And I just remember, man, this is, this is great. This is this is what life is kind of, must be about to be able to have this you know brand new car with a sunroof and hitting the highways and you know going up north to the upper peninsula um, it was it was a really really nice thing but as time went on and uh, my life went into a different direction and um, I lost my way with the Lord for a while it wasn't until. I went to a uh, witnessing weekend that I was invited to at the last minute um, up uh, by West Branch, Michigan. And I remember that when I got the invitation to go and I was told to come up there, the uh, idea was that there wasn't a place for me to be able to lay my head down. That if I had to sleep somewhere, there wasn't enough room, I'd have to um, get a sleeping bag and sleep on the floor. But it was about a three and a half hour drive up there. And I remember having that conversation with the Lord saying, Lord, if you love me, I need to hear you tell me that you love me. And I just, you know, I felt guilt. I felt shame because of the way I left the Lord and I wasn't involved in the church for a while there. And so when I made it to the reunion, and I sat there. I sat in the midst of the other people that were there. I went to the classes, and I went through the motion of it all. But I was still praying, and I was praying that the Lord would speak to me. And the last day that we were there, um, and I thought, well, you know, the Lord just, you know, maybe I'm doing something really horrible here. And I just started getting all this, you know, shame. And it was the last service, and the presider of the service had everybody do something different. And instead of us sitting in the rows, he put it in one big circle. And as I sat there, as I am right now, I just remember praying through the service, saying, Lord, you know, do you love me or do you not love me? And uh, the presider was getting ready to end the service. And you felt it was coming to an end. And across the circle was this little five-year-old child who was sitting on the floor and she was just coloring. And as I sat there, she stood up. And when she stood up, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit before she even spoke. And she called out my name. And she said, Jim McKitty. And immediately, my uh, eyes were just flooded with tears. And she said my name again. And she said, Jim McKitty. And she said, I love you. And then she sat down. And that was my conversion to never turning my back on my Lord again, because he spoke to me through this innocent child who was sitting there. And I wasn't expecting it, but that's how the Lord works. And so when you ask me a question about, you know, what's that, what's that, what's that main testimony that you have that draws you to, to the Lord, you know, uh, that's it. That's, that's, that's the foundation for me. So. Well, I remember when I was 
baptized when I was eight years old. And, um, you know, I always thought that I wondered about the age eight. You know, the Lord identified that as no earlier than that. Um, he has his reasons. I remember when I was baptized um, and I went outside after I was baptized and confirmed a member. And um, this was the strangest thing because I remember I began immediately to look at the world differently. And uh, I recognized the things around me were of God. And I remember that one of the main reasons I loved going to church is because I had certain friends there that I wanted to hang out with. You know, it was always real important to, to be with my friends there. And I remember um, going to church, and that became not so important to me anymore. And I found myself wanting to sit with somebody who was sitting alone at a young, really, really young age. And I saw an old man uh, sitting by himself one time, and um, I didn't know him. But I, I always felt like the Lord didn't want people to sit by themselves. They should feel like they belong and people love them. So I went and I sat by the guy for the duration of the service. Typically, I'd be sitting with my friends or my parents, and, but I didn't. And I ne never really knew how that struck a person until an old lady just recently told me that years and years ago, she was sitting by herself and I went and sat next to her. And I got to be honest with you, I really don't remember. But she said that made, that was so important to her that that happened. I, and I thought, wow, that must have really had an impact because she really thinks, she, she can think about it from that long ago. And, uh, and then as I went to camps and stuff, which I think is extremely important for parents to have their kids involved in activities. We were, Jim and I... <laughs> We were, we were going over through all of the activities that we were involved in growing up, and it's you guys can't even imagine all the stuff that we had going. I mean, the Youth Venture for Christ, we had Zion's League, we had caravans, um, reunions, family reunions. We used to go to the church reunions two a summer. Yeah. Um, and it, all of these are week-long things. We put on a Bible school with the Youth Venture for Christ. I mean, we were at retreats probably once a month throughout the school year mm -hmm. when you include youth venture for christ and the zion years and zion's league stuff yeah and all the retreats that we went to and the huddles and you know through ventures for christ uh, yeah we were always busy and active i remember when the church was going through its split and i was really bothered by what was going on because i knew it was heading in a, in a real difficult situation and i remember that i it was at that time actually right before that that I started studying the Word. And I remember that I wanted to know, because when you go through school, there's teachers in the biology class, the science classes, begin to sway your thinking about where we came from and stuff. And not being a real scholarly person in the scriptures, because I was only 14, whatever, I began to question a lot of things, even questioning the existence of God. And I was having experience, you know, I was having conversations with people who had been in the church for a while about how they knew that God existed and all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't satisfied with some of the answers that I heard. And so I decided that I really, because I heard my dad share a lot of testimonies. I sat in the back seat of the car when we would go places and he would be, there would be another minister in the passenger seat and they would be sharing testimonies. 
I'm like, man, these are incredible. I wish I had experiences like that, but I don't. I haven't. And it's not that I didn't think that I felt the Spirit at times, because I really felt that I did. But what was it? And who is this God that these guys are talking about all the time and having these experiences with? I needed to know for me, because I felt like I was at a crossroads at a young age. And so I decided that I was going to, I think I was 15 years old, <clears throat> I decided I was going to go up in my room and I was going to pray and study. And I did that every day after school. I was doing it every day after school and I would go up into my room and uh, I would pray and that because I was always taught to pray before you read the word because you want to understand the word the way that God wants you to understand the word, not the way somebody wants to interpret it for you. So I pray and then I would take the scriptures and I would open them up and I would just start reading. And when I got disinterested in that area of the book, I would take another clump of scriptures and I'd turn and, and I would start reading there. And I did that several days. So I, this was like the third day and I was constantly praying to God about understanding him and, and who he was. On the third day, and nobody knew that I was doing this, by the way. I, the upstairs in our house, I, we lived in a bungalow. So I could lock myself away and nobody knew. And so... I was up in my room every day, and I was up there for a long time. And the third day that I did this, I prayed, and then I took a clump of scriptures and opened up the book, took a clump, and my eyes were fastened on a scripture. And I tell you, it almost like they stuck out. But it said, I am the Lord thy God, have no other gods beside me. And I, and I thought, okay, that's interesting. I read, read a ways down, and then I... When I got tired of that area, I took a clump of scriptures and I flipped it again. And it said, I am the Lord thy God. There's the next scripture. I am the Lord thy God. And it said something along the lines of worship only me or something along. He was just declaring himself to me. You know, that uh, there are no other gods besides me. And then I took another clump of scriptures. And the third time, my eyes were fastened on the first scripture again and they stuck out. And again, the Lord reaffirmed to me who he was. And as soon as I read that third one, the Spirit filled me. And it would, I just sat and basked in the Spirit. And the Lord, to me, the Lord just revealed that he wants me to know that he is the great I am. And it was from that moment on, actually, that my relationship with him changed. I mean, it was from there I, I started studying hard. The church went through its split, and I when, I, when I studied the thing that they were bringing into the church, I prayed, and I studied, and I prayed, and I studied, and I became satisfied with God's word that what they were doing was wrong. They were heading in the wrong direction, and that's when I, that's when I parted from it. But you know, when we were going through that split, um, there was another young man who lived up in Canada. His name was Eddie Abbey. He was part of the Youth Venture for Christ program, and uh, he was struggling with this whole issue. And I wrote him a letter, and I said, you know, Eddie, I, I just want you to know that you don't stand alone in the way that you're, you feel. And I went through and I told him why I felt the way that I did, that they were going the wrong direction, and I told him that I thought the prophet was wrong for what he was doing, and so on and so forth. So I didn't think nothing of it, and uh, it was about a few weeks later, 
that I got a phone call from a patriarch in the church. And he just railed on me for writing this letter. First of all, I didn't know how he got in touch with it. I found out later that a minister went to Eddie's house and started talking to his mom and con trying to convince her that what was going on in the church was right. And she says, I just don't agree with it. And he says, well, you need to get on board because all the youth are on board with this and you're behind the times kind of thing. She says, no, they're not all on the board. And he, he says, what are you talking about? She went and got his letter and brought it out. And she, and she says, you can read this, but I want it back. So he read it. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was getting a call from the patriarch. He wasn't a patriarch, the guy that read it. But he called over to the States and said, this is what's going around. So this guy just railed on me, this patriarch. And he said, don't you ever send another form letter around like this again. I said, a form letter? I said, that wasn't a form letter. I said, it was a private letter that I sent this. I know what it was. He says, don't you send those form letters around. I read it. I know what it says. And I'm 17 years old, young priest in the church. I didn't know how to respond to this guy. And he says, if I see one more word like this come around this, the church, he says, I will call you before the stake president and I'll have your license removed. And I'm like, I got to admit, I was like shaking in the knees when this guy's talking to me like this. And I'm like, okay, uh, my dad's not home. I got the phone with the guy. My dad's not home. My parents were out for the night and I called Elder Bob Rook. I told him what had happened, and he says, Freddie, he says, don't you worry about a thing, he says, because the way that you're thinking is right, he says, and everything's going to turn out fine. That brought me a lot of peace, because I knew that I wasn't standing alone. And, you know, I could have been a kid who just said, look, I am 17, 18 years old, I don't need this, I could have packed it in and said, look, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go focus on my career. I'm going to go earn some money. I'm going to live the life the way that the commercials show me I should be living my life. And, uh, but you know what? I knew because of my upbringing that this was Christ church. It had been revealed to me on and off at different times. It was, it was not something that I could just walk away from. I knew that this was Christ Church, and I wasn't going to let a man scare me away from it because it didn't belong to that man, and it didn't belong to a hierarchy of, of men or a quorum. It belonged to Jesus Christ, and so I always rested in that, that, I, that this is his church, and so that's why I would stay. I would tell, counsel everybody, don't let anyone scare you away from what you know is right. I want to go back and, um, and ask you, when you were going through those those doubts when you're you're 14 or yeah 14 or so um both of you i guess do you find that it's um that through go going through that yourself um it's easier to connect with people in missionary endeavors when you when you discuss things with them you can come from a common common ground or does that make sense because you went through your own journey of of seeking the lord yeah how important i guess is that in um, 
to me, it's definitely extremely important that everybody who comes into this church has their own conversion experience. There are too many people who rely on what other people say, their parent or whatever that tells them, you know, this is Christ Church. If you are not seeking to find out if this is Christ Church, you are probably going to dwindle. Your faith is going to dwindle. You have to have, and I was raised in the church, but like Jim was saying, we had a conversion experience. And it's because we sought Christ out. We wanted to know the truth. And I encourage everybody, I don't care how long you've been in the church, I don't care if you're in the priesthood, you had better search to find out the truth of this work. There's a uh, there's an excitement, I think, in your heart when you have been introduced to Jesus Christ and you know the truth of who he is. And when you talk about the conversion, the conversion to Christ is so important first, you know, and the church that we have before us today and the testimony of the Book of Mormon and and that testimony alone with the Book of Mormon, it, it has, I mean, my growing up, that foundation in my family and in my church and in my circle of friends that I grew up with, um, it just rolled over into the adulthood. And as I got older and I got to study more and I got to get closer to the Lord, when I, you know, when I'm out in the community, uh, my wife, uh, she gives me Book of Mormons and I keep them in the back of the car. And, and when the opportunity arises and you're able to share the witness of the Book of Mormon, you know, some people might shy away from it, but when you start sharing the testimony that the Book of Mormon and of Jesus Christ in the Book of Mormon, they tend to want to know more about what this book is about. And I've had conversations at work. I've had conversations while I'm sitting in with a neurologist and the, the patient who I'm with uh, just happens to be a uh, RLDS person that I didn't know in the moment because that was one of the questions they asked, what your religious preference is. And when, I, I, and when he said RLDS, you know, my head went back a little bit, my eyebrows went up. I said, well, I didn't know that. And the neurologist looked at me and said, well, why, why would you care? I said, well, I'm RLDS too. Oh, well, what's so special about an RLDS? Oh, well, we have a witness of Jesus Christ. Of, and I actually was able to, they finished their assessment. I said, are you interested in reading the Book of Mormon? And he said, yes, I am. After we got done talking, I said, well, just give me five minutes. I ran down to my car, opened up the trunk, got out a Book of Mormon, brought it back up and gave it to him. And so when, when we talk about the witnessing of the Book of Mormon and you talk about the discernment and when does that discernment come in, it's when that Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And for those of us who are baptized, I really firmly believe that obviously when that baptism conversion takes place and, and you're confirmed into the church and the Holy Ghost is you know poured out upon you, that as you grow and you get older in life and things happen and all of a sudden you think, Hmm, I wonder what that is. Well, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And if you're discerning that spirit, in that moment, the spirit is going to speak to you and tell you that this is of the Lord and to prick your heart or to move you into the direction that the spirit wants you to move into. And so many Book of Mormons have been able to uh, leave my hands and go into other uh, people's hands. And so anyways, I just had to throw that in there. No, I'm, I'm glad you said... Um you said that the uh, the conversion to Jesus Christ, I think, is the uh, 
the the most important thing that you can you can have because if you look at what what we do on Sunday if um if I brought a friend in who had no relationship or no knowledge or whatever um and the holy spirit wasn't there he's going to sit for an hour and listen to some guy talk or and you know if there's no there's no spirit there if there's no seeking there then he's just going to be like I don't know what you're doing with your Sunday cuz it's not fun for me. It's not enjoyable just to sit here in these uncomfy pews or whatever. But um, when that spirit moves and when there's a a conversion to Jesus Christ and not necessarily the church, that's that's how I guess I'd distinguish it. There's a true conversion to Jesus and not necessarily a, something going on, but to a person, Jesus Christ, then there's a change that can be wrought in that person. And I was going to ask you, Jim, you talked about your your testimony. Looking back what were some of the, the night and day differences before you experienced that girl standing up and, and telling you that, that God loved you? Um, what things changed like, sure. like that? Sure. Um, Fred, Fred will remember this. Um, between night and day, um, we, were, we were in Zion's League. And we went to a uh, camp, and I think you guys may have been there. Uh, I don't know if Jason's been there, but Erie Beach. Have you been? Have you been to Erie Beach camps? I don't think not yet. No. Okay, so we went to Erie Beach camp one year. Um, in Erie Beach camp, uh, there was a. Uh, it's a, in Canada, by the way. It's in. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's in uh, Canada, and there was a powerful experience that happened with the youth on the beach one particular night, and. Um, uh, one of the leaders came up to me and said, hey, would you be a leader of this group? And we split off in three different groups, maybe, maybe four. I, I can't remember exactly, but asked me to uh, start a prayer circle. And then, it, you know, and then after we were done praying, we would all get back together in one, one, one big group. And so while we were praying, people, I, I said, well, let's go to the left and people start praying. And as we had our heads bowed, we were by we were on the beach by the water, and you can hear the water coming up on the shore. And it was nighttime; it was dark. And the other circle was probably 20, 10, 15 yards away, maybe more yards away than that from us. So nobody was really close by. You couldn't hear the other person's, you know, praying. And as we're sitting there, or standing there, we're we're holding hands and we're praying, and we're going around the circle. Uh, had my head bowed, and I. All of a sudden, heard a very loud, audible voice, and it was right in my right ear. And it was a very uh, horrific noise, like a like a, 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 a laughter that was just horrible. And immediately, I opened my eyes, I looked up, and I looked around. I didn't see anyone there, and I looked around the other way, still didn't see anyone there. And I, as I scanned the circle and I looked, everyone's eyes were closed except for the one girl that was standing on the other side of the circle. And as I looked at her, she was just crying. And um, we completed our prayer, and I went right up to her, and I said, hey, I said, are you okay? And she said, I heard, you know, an evil laughter. And she was on the other side of the circle. And so I went around asking other people if they heard it, no one else heard it. Was it you that came with us? And we went into... I remember the incident, but I can't remember the, the details. So so she and I and someone else, I thought it was you, though, and all three of us immediately went to the Patriarch's trailer. And we knocked on the door. Yeah. It was you, right? Yeah. Okay, I thought so. 
just for the record. Yeah. <laughs> um, we went to the trailer. We knock on the door. Uh, he, we opened the door. He said, come in. And when we came in, I don't know if you remember this, but what he said was, I've been waiting for you. And as we uh, stepped into the trailer, he began to talk to us um, under the influence of the Spirit. And what he said to us was that we were at the pinnacle change of our lives right now at the crossroads. And he described to us what our life would be like if we chose Jesus Christ. And then he said what our lives would be like if we chose the other path. And the description of that was ugly. And then he said, the adversary wishes to use you, and when he's done with you, your life will feel like the bottom of a trash can because of all the junk that you put on yourself. And so when you ask that question, what is the difference between night and day, between those experiences? That's what it felt. That's what that life feels like when you're not following and walking with Christ. And so, so when the when the actual conversion happens, and Christ is there, and His arms are open, and He tells you that He loves you, and that grace is there, you know, it's just overwhelming. Yeah. You had the opportunity to go for a reunion, right? You had a oh a few years back. The or maybe that was a different a camp reunion, but people you're you I mean that were in your youth group. Oh, our, our age, reunion. You got together. We all got right? together for. Oh. Or, sorry, not reunion, but camp, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, it was like a reunion. Yeah, yeah, yeah a bunch of us uh, from the Adventures of Christ and going to Zion's League. Uh, was anybody there from Canada? Oh, Sue and yeah, Sue and Kurt and yeah, um, yeah, they, they were there, and so yeah, so a group of us that grew up together. How many years has it been? Thirty. Five, Easy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Fred. Yeah, it's so been it's, a it's been a, it's been a long time. So yeah, it was really good, and not everybody was there, but we had a pretty good crowd that showed up. Um, so yeah, it was a good experience. Were there testimony? Would people recall the testimonies from those years? No, I honestly we didn't really get into it because there have been so many splits among us. A lot of them don't go to church anymore, or they completely changed faiths. Most of, I mean, we've got a core group that stayed with the Restoration Branches, but most everybody else is gone. And even the ones who stayed with the Community of Christ left that because it just got too far out from the scriptures, and they just couldn't do it anymore. We did, we did get together though, and which was I thought pretty special. Um, we got up on the stage because we actually met in a congregation that we used to go to, and we all got up on the stage and sang some songs, the old campfire songs, and I thought that was pretty special. Uh, we sat in a circle and we sang a, a song. Um, so, yeah, so I think the common thread is still there, even though, like Fred said, um, a lot of the folks have split off and moved in different directions, different faiths. So um, some people probably... I've even left God, and so today, because you have two sons, right? Three. Do you have three sons? I guess I don't know the third one. Chaz. Chaz. Is, uh, I've never met him. Yeah, he's older. Okay, yeah. and then you have my two brothers, and yeah. then your uh, sister. Yep, yeah, my sister. <laughs> um, what? Because we're growing up in the aftermath of '84 or several splits, and so us three here have never known an organized church where things like that are happening irregularly 
um, where there's like we had caravan and we had camps, but it's not like like you you were saying where you had a retreat every month. Yeah, we were just talking about that today with uh, Andrew's dad, uh, Aaron, about how we wish. Um, you know, uh, we we're all talking, all three of us, Fred and Aaron and I, about you know we need to would sure would have been nice you know if we would have something organized for you know your generation um because the ventures for christ was such a um, outstanding program and what it consists of was a huddle once a month and you know we used to um, anticipate it we used to wait for it we used to wait for that weekend that would come why well, because one, you get to see your friends. Two, you get to uh, put on the Sunday service. You get to participate in that. There were some uh, some of the fellows that were uh, uh, ordained into the uh, priesthood at that time. So those would be the ones who would speak, uh, and other ones would participate in one way or another, and we would all sing songs. Let's step back a second, though, Yeah. because this was such a... This program was so instrumental in getting us to think about the restoration work mm -hmm. because you weren't allowed to go on the last trip right unless you completed assignments and they were essay questions that were given to you each huddle and you had to come with them and you had to pass and if you didn't pass they'd hand it back to you until you did until you reworked it and did pass with the correct answers or an acceptable answer and um so it was not just a leisurely get-together, have fun kind of thing, throw on a Bible school. It was educational. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was very important. And not everybody went on the trip because they just didn't choose to, to pay the price. But most of us did. So I got, I got two questions from that. One, you mentioned prepared you for the restoration work. Um, I'll ask you what, do you, what do you say that is? What, what is the, the work of the restoration? Well, I think... Gaining knowledge um, is very, very key because what is the church for? It, it's, for it's for conveying the truth in Christ. I mean, that's really, if you search for the truth, you will find Christ's church, and that's what it does. It, it, is, it reveals God. That's what the church does. Um, there's a scripture that says, Every man who seeketh truth presses into the kingdom. And that means that there are many people who are searching for the truth who are becoming closer and closer to Christ's church. And if you, it's, it's not, one thing I don't want people to do is to worship the, the organization because the organization is just a tool, a revelation to understanding God. And his truth is just revealed in so many different ways because of the different priesthood offices, because of the the, the Holy Spirit bearing witness of, of the work that is being done. I mean, there's just, that's what it's for, is to guide people into the truth, which is into the kingdom. Yeah. And, you know, um, piggybacking off of that, um, one of the things that when you're uh, sharing the truth, you know, um, it's, it's a, it could be a, a mighty and powerful thing, and, you know, for the Lord and, and his church. And I don't know if Fred remembers this, but, uh, we used to do um, go knocking door to door. Oh know? yeah, forgot that. It's another thing we did in Venture for Christ. And you know uh, the experience in that there was good and there was bad. Uh, there were experiences where we literally went to the doors and knocked on the door, only to have somebody open up the door and look at us 
and see the pamphlets in our hands and slam the door back in our face, you know? And, you know, as, as a young person who's trying to do the Lord's will and, you know, do the work and you're all excited about it, to have somebody do that to you can be, you know, for some people, pretty devastating. Or for other people, it could be a challenge. And I, I, I distinctly remember in Evansville, Indiana, that happening to me and another person. And we started walking away. And I said, no, I, yeah, I'm going to go knock one more time. And I went back up there and knocked on the door again. And that guy answered that door. And I just, you know, stuck the pamphlet out. And I said, you are welcome to come to our vacation Bible school, should, you know, should you want to come. And uh, turn around and he shut the door and we walked away. But you don't give up. You don't quit, even when there's that adversity that sometimes, you know, you're faced with. But that was, those were, like Fred said, they were good experiences. Second question has nothing to do with the first, but how do you um, encourage youth today, I guess, without those resources? Or what would you say to those who are are lacking what you had? Well, I'll, I'll jump on that one. I think, you know... The networks that we have today, if you guys, if you, Sam, Andrew, and Jason, and Brian, and Jared, and Stephen, and everyone else, look within yourselves as young men who have, you know, been given the seed that's been planted into your hearts, and to turn people and to have them look at you guys and what you guys are doing. This is a conversation we actually had today. What a wonderful thing that the Lord is working within you guys by just this right here, having us come into you know, fellowship with you to sit here and to talk. But you guys do fellowship on your own. We don't have that structure that you know today that we had then. There is somewhat of a structure, but not like it used to be. And so uh, the limitations that you have are only within yourselves. The possibilities that are there is waiting. And so, you know, you guys are stepping up into another generation as we are moving forward into another generation. And so... How old are you guys? I'm 23. 22. 24. 22, 23, 24. Okay. Yeah. I, I have a question that's, that's uh, similar to what Sam just asked. You talked a little bit about all the things you had going, but you also mentioned how a lot of those people that you went through those things with have left the church. And so, you know, we, we kind of look back and we, Sam and I just had a home visit where um, the, the guy we were visiting with, he said, we kind of have this idea and it's this false idea that we look back and, and say, well, 85 was terrible, 84 was terrible, but 83 was perfect, you know? And we, we mm-hmm. have this, this funny idea that if we could only get back to then, and there's somewhere on this timeline where we, we foolishly want to get back to. And and with all the resources you had when you were younger, what was missing? Like, why why were youth leaving then? Why, why did that happen? And then after that, I guess, what's the solution for us now? Hmm. I'll let you jump on that one. Hmm. Well, the... Um the 84 split was devastating. I think it was an eye-opener to everybody that how far off the beaten path we had become. The stuff that was infiltrated into the church was happening for years. Um, it was creeping in slowly. The education curriculum that was going about the church was steering you... It was almost like um, 
watering down everything that Christ had given to the church and trying to turn us more towards an ecumenical belief. And so we were losing the distinctives of the church and we didn't even know it because everybody was involved in their own thing, their own um, activities and so forth. And it's not that people weren't standing up for the church, but that the, ch the witness of the church was becoming weaker and weaker over time. 84 was just an eye-opener, I think, uh, finally to everybody, that we had, I think it actually strengthened some people that they had actually had to take a stand because <laughs> they didn't have to take a stand before. And um, But the Lord said that in the last days that there was going to be that his whirlwind would start in the church and we're seeing it right now and he said there would be a sifting period and if you notice uh i don't know if you guys are familiar with sifting it was pointed out to me later by people who actually bake <laughs> that uh, when you sift flour the bad stuff stays in and the good stuff stays out because people say, well, why did you leave the church? And we say, well, we didn't. We're actually preserving the church out here because they would not allow us to within. And um, so the Lord said it was going to happen. But, you know, there's been other prophecies that said the church was going to go through more than just that split. It was going to happen again and again. And they're coming to pass. So... I think the Lord is really looking for somebody, for people, a group of people who will really dedicate themselves to Him and listen to Him and and spend their time and their energy so that He can reveal Himself. Because I think we're getting too caught up in this electronic world. We're forgetting about our building relationships, really. I think it's really important that you guys have groups like this, but there's there's something greater that needs to happen. And I honestly feel, and, I, and not to, to an extent, our generation has dropped the ball Huge. when it came to providing these kind of uh, activities for the youth. I mean, we should be, you should have the camps going on and the retreats. We had a, one week in the summer for the camp and we had a couple retreats during the year. And then our Youth Venture for Christ was several weekends throughout the year and a week in the summer. And then we had our... We spent probably six weeks of the summer... Easy. ...in church activities. Yeah. I mean, it was just... it was There was always something going on. And you guys can develop those. I mean, you can, we can help you. Uh, you need programs to develop people's spiritual lives. And the social aspect is just a, a bonus. I mean, it's really important. The social aspect is really important. So I absolutely agree with everything you've um, said. and But the little bit of discouraging thing that I see is I, I am kind of trying to do some of these activities. Um, I'm co-leading a Zions League group. And I think to what you said, some of it is the electronic world we live in, the fast-paced world that we live in. Um, because it's hard to get the attention of even, you know, people six years younger than me, like, um, or whatever age they're at uh, in high school. Um, but 
we we struggle to get the numbers even though those opportunities can be there and i i just find myself thinking how can we not like falsely make it more appealing but make it more appealing for these kids who find so much gratification and even other good things like school activities or anything like when we're sending out our invites and stuff we are absolutely the last thing on the list that as a Zions league that if the kids aren't busy with boy scouts school you know name whatever it is if none of that falls on this day then we'll see if we can show up um a couple of things come to mind when you're talking about this. So first of all, I I think one of the things that we did when we were growing up is the activities that we went to, they weren't all serious Bible thumping, you know, Bible study type things. So every year we used to go to the Michigan versus Michigan State University hockey game. And we would get together, we'd meet at a church, we would have prayer we would have maybe pizza, and then we'd all go to the game together, and then everybody go their separate ways. But that was just a, it was just an evening for having a good time together and doing something extra special. Might even be bowling one time or whatever. But you you never want to have those activities and leave God out of it. That's the important thing that everybody has a gets a little bit of their Lord in that evening. But the other thing is, is I think, and one of the things I think is extremely important in a Christian's life, if you're not having the experiences that you want to have with God, make fasting a part of your life. Not to show people, look what I'm doing. This has to be something extremely personal. That's where your spiritual life really grows. Because like I, my conversion experience, I went, I locked myself away from people. I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing. I prayed and I studied. And that's when the Lord revealed himself to me. It was a very powerful experience. I wish I could have I wish I would have wrote down the scriptures that I actually I remembered two of them, and not even tonight though, they weren't the exact one, but I remembered two of them and I remembered the message, but at the third one I just couldn't remember, but I knew it was the same thing. But it's because people want to follow Christ. And a lot of times they go to activities just to be a part of something good. But they're not working on their insides. And they just go through from one activity to the other. And they're not growing. You know, it really takes... If you really believe that God is alive, then go talk to him. Go lock yourself away and pray to him. And pray vocally. A lot of people, they don't pray vocally to God. You remember Joseph Smith Jr.'s experience? He said, it's the first time I have ever prayed a vocal prayer. That was when he was in the grove and had his experience. And I think people discount that. They think, well, I'm by myself. Why do I need to pray out loud? I don't know. (laughs) Has the Lord told us to? To cry unto him in our secret places? And, And I think that people need to pray regularly all the time. It doesn't have to be formal. I think he wants to hear from us. Sometimes we're formal about it and we cross our hands and close our eyes and bow our heads. And sometimes when we're busy doing something about work, we can't stop. We better still pray to him in our minds and in our heart. You know, but I think that people are missing out on, I think fasting is not a part of the Christian life the way it used to be. 
I think that honestly, that that's probably the missing piece. And people say, well, I can't fast. That's too hard. I'm hungry all the time. Well, you'll get over that. And I'll tell you something that happened. This is my experience. When you get your mindset that you are going to fast and you use the time that you normally would eat a meal and you spend time in the Word, your hunger will go away. And you know what Jesus said? I'm the bread of life. And it's a spiritual food that you gain from that. I can't explain it. You can only experience it. But when you are fasting, if you are saying, well, I had a guy one time who was in bodybuilding, and he says, I'm, I'm getting ready to um, get my patriarchal blessing. And he says, I don't know if I'm ready. And I said, have you been fasting? He says, I've been fasting for months. Well, he's fasting because he's getting ready for his bodybuilding competition. He wasn't doing, his heart wasn't in the right place when he's doing that, right? So your heart, where your heart is, is extremely important when you're searching for Christ. It can't be for outward show. It's got to be for inward. So make fasting a part of your experience, a part of your lives. Work on your insides first before you can really, you know, it should be something that's actually something that goes on. It's a repetitive, a perpetual thing. You're always working on your insides. Prayer, fasting, study. Don't let those thing, three things be out of your life, any, not any one of them, because they really go together so well. And then you'll start having these experiences, and as soon as you start sharing an experience with these young kids, I talked with an angel the other day, the Lord's Spirit fell upon me in such a powerful way, my, my questions were answered. When you start sharing those experiences with young kids, then they start saying, hmm, I wonder if I can have that experience. But that's, that's, I think, really important uh, when it comes to your experience with these young people and bringing them to activities. Yeah, and I, I said what I said, and it seems like um, how I said it, it's kind of placing the blame on society or placing the blame on the kids for you know, not taking it seriously enough. But really, like what you said, it, it has to start with the people trying to lead and being a strong leader who does have a changed heart who does have fasting as a part of their life and and that's something i'm struggling with personally is i see the need for you know these activities and all these things and i'm like i want to help people i want to bring people closer to christ but then it's like when i'm not doing those activities i'm i'm not fasting i'm not studying like i should and and so, okay. So it, it's a stewardship thing, exactly. And, and so, yeah, it's. I almost asked the question because I, you know, in the back of my head, I knew the answer. Of it does need to be each generation really just stepping up to help the next, and yeah, like it's very much a change of heart, and um, and we talk about that all the time. Let me share an experience with you about fasting. It. I think is really important, especially for young men who are in the priesthood. I was always trained before I gave a sermon or was involved in anything that prayer and fasting and studying had to be a part of it. So every time that I prepared for my sermons, I didn't care if it was a Wednesday night, 10-minute talk or whatever, or a full sermon, prayer and fasting and studying had to be a part of it. And when I when the church split, I was I think I was 17 or 18 years old that I was asked to 
bring the talk one night at a prayer service. And I fasted and prayed just like I was trained to. Fasted, prayed, and studied. I really felt led to this one topic. We went to church, and I gave the talk, and I sat down, and the people were praying and testifying. And I felt a good spirit that night. And really, I fast before I go to prayer services, too. I don't know how many people do that. I fast and pray before I go to them. Because my goal that evening is to feel God's spirit. That's my whole goal. Because it feeds me and strengthens me and inspires me. So when I gave the talk that night and sat down, I was listening to the prayers and testimonies. What a good spirit moving among the people. And I just sat there and I listened and listened. And I'm like, what a wonderful night. And my dad was presiding and he began to close the service with some remarks. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to him. And all of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit filled me really strong. And I heard a voice just as clear as I'm talking to you guys right now. And the voice said, there needs to be time for one more prayer. And so real was that moment that I actually looked over my shoulder to see. I thought a deacon had come up behind me and said, there needs, he was telling me there needs to be time for one more prayer. And I was going to tell my dad. And I look back there and nobody was there. And I look out into the crowd and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world am I going to do? Stand up and stop the service? What if nobody needs to pray? So I sat there and my dad continued to close and I'm looking out in the congregation. Everybody's eyes are fastened on him. All of a sudden, the spirit fills me even stronger. And I heard the same voice again. And it said, there needs to be time for one more prayer. Well, now I'm getting a little shifty in my seat. And I am looking out into the crowd, and I'm looking for anybody to make a motion. Like, you know, can I? <laughs> nothing. Nobody's doing anything. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do here? And my dad was just getting ready to close the service. And that spirit filled me so strong that I was up and out of my seat. I leaned into my dad, and I whispered in his ear, and I said, Dad, there needs to be time for one more prayer. He says, okay. And I sat down. So he announces to the people, he says, folks, we have time for one more prayer or a testimony if somebody would like to share one. In the back of the congregation was a 16-year-old kid. His name's Keith Dabbs. You'll probably meet him one day. His head popped up. He raised his hand. He said, I'd like to pray. And I thought, Phew. Well, he stood up and he started sharing uh, that his family, his mom had gotten a divorce and remarried, and he was not getting along with his new stepfather. And so he said, I really would like to pray for my family. And so he did. Well, the service ended, and I was going back to get my coat on to leave. And Keith comes jogging out there. He says, Fred, he said, how did you know that I needed to pray? So I shared with him what had happened to me up front. He says, you know something? He said, every time I was getting ready to stand up, somebody else would stand up. I start to stand up again, somebody else stand up. He said, before I knew it, your dad started closing the service with these remarks. He said, so I bowed my head in prayer. And that's why I couldn't see him. I figured it out. He said, I bowed my head in prayer and his hand, his elbows were on his knees and his hands were buried in his face. And he was praying and he said, Lord, if it be possible, would you allow me to pray for my family this evening? But he said, if not, then I'll accept that. And he said, no sooner did I end my prayer that your dad announced that there was time for one more prayer. 
And I thought, what a wonderful experience. I said, God heard that kid's prayer, and he could have used anybody. He really could have used anybody. I just happened to be in the person that night. And uh, my only regret was is that I didn't respond right away, that I sat in my seat. He had to tell me three times you know, to get up, but I sat there. But those experiences right there are things that molded my ministry. And they're just, it's something that I can never, I can never dismiss. It was that distinct and that clear. Jim, I wanted to ask you more about this, and Fred, feel free to join in too. But sometimes the Lord doesn't speak to us in audible voices like, like that. And something that I've struggled with and is trying to differentiate my voice, my inner voice, when I'm reading or studying or, or, or preparing for sermon from the Lord's and making sure that I understand what He's trying to say to me and not someone else. When it comes to discernment, where, where do you start in that regard? Yeah, um, you always start with prayer, um, and you pray to your Heavenly Father. Whatever the issue is that you may be struggling with, or whatever the question you may have, um, you're praying for that discernment that it will lead you to the answer to the question that you have. When you find the answer to that question, you know you pray over that answer, and you get the, your your confirmation of that question. You know. Um, I'm going to expose myself here for a second. Um, when we were at camp one year, Zioneers camp, we had a experience there, and that experience uh, stayed with me. And of course, you always hate to have to end camp. You don't want to go home. You want to continue that, if you will, Zionic condition that you have been living in for a whole week. And as I um, as I left and went home. Um, a few days later, um, I, I uh, had this horrible, horrible uh, toothache. Just horrible. My mom made a dentist appointment for me to go the next day. I don't know why I did this, but it was a, it was a Saturday. It was a weekend. My mom and dad went to their friend's house, which is about a mile and a half from our house. And they have a friend there uh, that I, I know. Um, that we became friends, and his name was Tony. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to get on my bike, and I'm going to ride my bike over there and see him. And so I did. I got on my bike, and I rode it over to their house. I don't know why I did it, because my tooth was excruciating. And I walked into the house, and uh, my dad was sitting in a chair. Tony, the father, was sitting in a chair. His wife was in a chair. And my mom was in the chair, and their son was uh, downstairs in his room. And as I walked into the kitchen, the the, the mother, uh, Joanne, she said to me, she says, Jimmy, come on in and have a seat. And so I did. And then she said, hey, would you like something to eat? And I said, I said, no, no, no. I said, I have a horrible toothache. And uh, I was sitting just like this, and my dad was right where Andrew's at, and uh, the father was sitting over there. And he said to me, the, the father, who I, he's just a friend that my dad met in work, and they, became, they befriended each other, and they became friends. And uh, he looked over at me. He wasn't a member of our church, but he looked over at me, and he said, you want me to take that pain away? And, you know, I was probably, what, 
13, 14 maybe. And, you know, so I looked to my dad for confirmation, like, is that is this okay? And my dad looked at me and went like that, nodded his head. And so I looked at Tony and I said, sure. And he said, well, come on over here. And so he came over and he pulled his chair out. And I said to myself, I said, well, I've seen this before. You know, you sit down in the chair, the elders will pray over you. And uh, they'll administer to you. But it was still in the back of my head. Man, this guy isn't in the priesthood. And as I sat there, and he stood behind me, he lifted both of his hands up over my head. And I kept waiting to feel his hand lay on my head. I thought he was just going to pray over me. And so I, I bowed my head. And as I saw his hands go up, I closed my eyes. I never felt his hands touch me. But moments later, I physically and literally felt the pain in my tooth draw out of my body and leave. And I opened my eyes and I looked over at my dad and I went like this and I was biting down, no pain at all. I mean, it was gone. And I immediately thought, what power is this that this guy has? And uh, the day went on and I went home. And it was that night when I went to go lay down in my bed and I went to go say my prayers, I could not say the name of Jesus Christ. It would not come out of my mouth. Every time I tried to say Jesus' name, I couldn't do it. But it was the adversary. And it came over me in such a dark and uh, horrific way that I went immediately to my uh, mom and dad's room. And my mom just looked at me and she saw the look in my face. And she said, L, call the elders. And um, so he called the elders. And the elders that um, he called was uh, Dick Wilson and George Mefford. And they came over uh, to our house in the middle of the night. And, uh, and I, I, I remember sitting in the chair, and uh, they anointed my head, and they administered to me. And I, I immediately felt the presence of the Holy Spirit just literally flood me from my head to my toes. And I just felt like this relief, like, oh my, you know, what, what, did, what did I just experience, you know, between what happened today and what happened tonight? What I didn't know, 30-some years later, as I ran into Brother George Mefford down here, and we hadn't seen each other in forever, and we crossed paths, and he looked at me and he said, boy, that sure was an experience we had that night with you, wasn't it? And I said, yeah. It sure was. And he said, I couldn't believe we had to come back over again at 2.30 you know, that, that morning. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, didn't you, hear, didn't you hear what happened? And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, Brother Richard and I, when we prayed that prayer, we did it incorrectly. And as we were driving home, the Lord told us that we needed to go back to your house and we needed to pray for your mom because that spirit that was removed from your body left you and it went to your mother and she started having some problems, spiritual problems that night. So they went back over that night and they prayed the prayer 
but it was the discernment, and he and I had this conversation, it was that discernment that the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and when you hear the Holy Spirit speaks to you, speak to you, you must respond to it in order to have an action to it. Had they not gone back over and had they had the Lord not given them the words to use, which he told me what they were, you know, when you pray and you pray that the adversary is no longer in, in this room and you pray that adversary out of the room, you pray for it to return back to the depths of hell from where it came from. You don't pray for it to just move because that spirit will then have its own pathway to move wherever it wants to move. And so knowing the discernment and feeling it and understanding it, and you guys talked about this earlier, but in, in my in my mind, it's like when you have your head and your heart lined up together, that's when you're walking and you're in tune with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes our head drifts, our head drifts in different directions, and we get distracted. So I had never heard that experience. That's a powerful experience. Yeah. I don't know how we're doing on time. We're going to try and wrap up shortly, I guess. But keeping in line with our theme of the podcast, real quickly, I guess I'll ask you both uh, what your, your favorite uh, chapter or part of the Book of Mormon is. I know that's not related to much we just discussed. but And then if you want to preach a little many two and a half minute sermon you're welcome to do so on what it means to you of course <laughs> i love elma 12 i love the brothers of messiah or uh, um elma that uh, chapter is just one of my favorite ones uh when they're walking on the path and they're met by the angel and the power of the holy spirit that is upon them and the healing and the the power that they use to go out and to do uh Admit, uh, to pray over people and to bring people closer to Christ. That's just one of my favorite ones, Alma uh, uh, 12. I don't know about Fred's. I think mine is, it's a tough one. There's so many things I love about it. I love the visions that Lehi and Nephi had in the beginning. I mean, they're so telling about living a life of Christ and not, and being worldly. Um, I love the book of Alma. Uh, I love its description of faith I love but probably my favorite I would say is when the Lord came here to visit third Nephi I think is it's such a powerful experience because people actually got to come forward and not only hear Christ's voice but thrust their hands in his side they had the experience that Thomas had uh, when he was doubting that the Lord had risen and there was to be no doubt in the people on this continent of Christ's return, that he took his body into heavenly places. It wasn't buried in the tomb back in Jerusalem, but he took his body into heavenly places, and it. And he went and witnessed. And he not only witnessed to the people on this land, he said, there are other places, other people that I'm going to go. And so I'm, I imagine that there's going to actually be some other records that are come forward. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's records, records buried in China somewhere. And that heavily populated area it wouldn't surprise me if they're buried right now. I mean, there, there's a quite a Christian movement going on over there in the underground. But I would like to, I think if I've got just a couple minutes, I would like to bear my testimony of the Book of Mormon. When I was um, 17, 18 years old, I graduated from high school looking for a job. Uh, while I was trying to find that good job that paid decent money, I worked at a Burger King. And um, so 
every once in a while I got to sit down with different people I worked with and there's an elderly lady that I got to sit with from time to time and I don't know what church she actually belonged to I, I mean it doesn't I can't remember right now she told me but uh, we got to talk about God from time to time and we got to learn about each other's beliefs and I got to tell her about the Book of Mormon and uh, she had she said well tell me about this book. And so I told her, and I said, would you like me to bring you a copy so you can read it? It's really fantastic. And she says, yeah, go ahead. So we I didn't get to meet with her every time, but I brought a Book of Mormon with me. Within a couple of days, we had lunch again. And when I sat down to give that to her, she was fidgety. I mean, she was uncomfortable. She didn't know how to talk to me about this book. So I knew that she had been talking with somebody of another faith, probably her pastor. She probably called him and said, what do you think about the book? Oh, stay away from it kind of thing. And I imagine that's what was going on because she, I handed her the book and she started thumbing through it. And she says, well, she says, and she's flipping these pages. She's nervous. And she says, I just got a couple of questions for you. And I said, well, go ahead. And she opens the book and she says, who's this? And I'm thinking, why is she asking who this person? She didn't have that question about this. She just doesn't know what to say to me. And I said, well, what are you talking about? She says, Noah. Who is this Noah? And I said, well, I said, that could be talking about Noah and the ark from the Bible. Could be referring back to that. But there's also a King Noah who was over on this land. I, I honestly couldn't tell you. The reason I couldn't tell her is because I hadn't read the book yet. I had bounced around in the book. And I thought that the book, I didn't have any doubts about the book, really. But I didn't read, haven't read the whole book, and I'm a minister in the church, and I couldn't bear to her a testimony. So I had a real issue here. So she thumbs around, she asked me something else, and I and I couldn't really answer her again. And our lunch was over, and she went her way, and I went mine. And um, she took the book home, and it was wasn't long after that that the Burger King had actually folded. Uh, and unfortunately, I gave her my parents' leather-bound zipper Book of Mormon <laughs> off of their shelf. Uh, they didn't even know that I gave it to her because they had a few, a couple of them. But I didn't have a missionary copy, so I just grabbed one that I found. Anyhow, it really bothered me a lot that I was a minister in the church and could not testify to the truthfulness of the book because I hadn't read it, and I'm supposed to be preaching from it. So I dedicated myself to going up in my room every day and I would stay up there and sometimes I'd read for half hour, 45 minutes. Other times it'd be for hour and a half, two hours, but I was reading that book every day. And um, at the end, when I got to the end of the book and it tells you, you know, if you want to know if this work is true, then ask and the Lord will reveal it unto you. So I did. Nobody was home. I went down in my living room, and I remember distinctly getting on my knees and praying a vocal prayer to the Lord. And I remember telling him, I said, Lord, I really don't have any doubt that this book is true, but I really don't have my testimony to bear to people about it. No sooner did I pray those words that the Holy Spirit just burned within my chest. And it stayed there the whole time I was praying until I said, Amen. And I knew right then 
that this book was true. And I didn't really have doubts before, but the Lord was letting me know. It was like a, putting a stamp on it. You know, this book is true. And then I could bear my testimony to the world. So that was my testimony that I know that the book is true. You know, if I could say something real quick, if there's anything that you guys could do where you're at in your lives right now is continue to do what you're doing. Continue to pray with one another. Continue to seek that discernment to know that those young men and women that are in your group, that we are all a part of a spiritual battle that is happening in our church, in our community, in our homes today. There are those that are among you that are struggling with those addictions, that are struggling with um, God, whether or not He exists. For those of you who are in the priesthood that are in your group, come together often as you can. Pray together as often as you can and seek that discernment that that one sheep who is in your group does not go away. Because, you know, as a, as a testimony of having seen it uh, when, with our group growing up, it is so important just to get that one phone call from that friend. Hey, are you coming to church Sunday? Man, sure have missed you. You want to come with me? You just don't know how that one phone call can make a complete difference in somebody's direction in what the adversary is trying to do and pull them away. So thank you guys for bringing us here today. Thank you for allowing us to be able to share what we've been able to share and uh, keep up the good work and what you guys are doing. Thank you. You know, I'd add one more thing to that. We always do this. We always, you know, I, I can never have the last word. Fred's got to have no, the last I'm going to let you have it. You no, can say just, something after me because it's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and you can say whatever you want to say. I don't have to have the last word. All right. I just want to say that if you guys are obedient to God and you continue to do these little things, these little gatherings, you continue to create opportunities for youth to come together or yourself, your age to come together, that and, and you continue to work on yourselves privately with your prayers and your study and your fasting, the time will come that you'll start to have the experiences that you've always hoped for. And they will come not because you're searching for them, because the Lord doesn't want you to search for signs. They happen at unexpected times. I didn't. The experiences that we shared with you tonight, we didn't. weren't expecting them to happen to us. They just happen because... We put ourselves in the places where God wants us to be. We're gathered, We're trying to do His will. And because of that, He blesses us and reveals Himself to us. Because He said, I, I have to reveal my... He basically says, I have to reveal myself to you when you are obedient to me. So keep up the good work. Keep encouraging and inspiring young people to follow Christ. And as you continue to sacrifice your time and your talent and your and your abilities and the lives of these other people the lord will reveal himself and he'll do it in wonderful ways amen there's that last word <laughs> and amen <laughs> we want to thank you guys very much for uh sharing with us tonight um it's been it's been good to have you down just for the the i've seen you a day and a half maybe uh, fred but it's been Good uh, rooming with you. We'll uh, let Jason cue the outro music and the editing, but uh, we'll wish y'all a good night and God bless. 
that stills the 